Welcome to the SF Weekly Podcast. I'm Nick Veronin, your editor in exile, and I'm joined, as always, by Kevin, the biggest mask I've ever seen, Hume. How you feeling today, Kevin? <laughs> oh man, it's hot. It's Friday. You know, it's smoky. yeah. Well, we finally have the answer to the question we've all been kicking about in our brains for the past year. Turns out the answer is no. Bad hair, spray tanner, and Domino's pizza are not effective prophylactics against the novel coronavirus. <laughs> um, by the way, in my script here, when I was typing this out, I spelled prophylactic right on my first try. Didn't even have to. Didn't even have to Google it. I'm a man of letters. Oh, you're a savant. <laughs> but I don't just want to joke about this. I'm talking, of course, about uh, President Donald Trump being diagnosed with coronavirus. As of the taping of this podcast, Friday afternoon, the president, who announced via Twitter, where else, uh, last night, uh, that he and his wife have tested positive for coronavirus, he's at um, Walter Reed Medical Center and scheduled to stay for a few days, um, and I guess they already have him on antiviral treatment. So, Yeah, I saw he got some sort of experimental treatment. I, I don't know. Yeah, something. He's going to get, you know, the best care. Um, it's, it is, it is a crazy, it, it just keeps getting crazier. Uh, if, if you're anything like me, you went through a whole slew of, uh, of the feels last night. Can you, how did you, how did you react, Kevin? Um, I, I couldn't help but laugh at first if I'm being honest, but you know, like, uh, just this, some sense of disbelief, some sense of, uh, what, what now, you know, reading about like, okay, so like what happens if this, you know, goes as far as, you know, taking his life or incapacitating him to a point where we have to invoke the 25th amendment, uh, you know, like I, I've gone to a lot of different places and I've read a lot of stories, uh, trying to sort of explain what the situation is and what could happen next. So it's, yeah, I mean, I'm not like scared or anything, but I'm also kind of like not sure exactly how serious to take this in terms of just how this is going to work, how this is going to play out. Yeah, I mean, I went from like just smug, well, what that's what you get to yeah. like, well, wait a minute, what what does this mean? Um what are all the possible outcomes here? Right. to like to then like what if like what, conspiratorial, like what if this is all made up and he just wants to like be like, oh, yeah, I beat the coronavirus too. Cause I'm not, a, cause I'm not a wimp like Joe Hyden. Yeah. You know, he says, Oh, it's not that bad. It's like the flu. You know, he makes it, makes it out like all the people that have died are weenies or something, you know? Yeah. So, you know, what, what, what could happen? He could get better real quick in that case. I guess not much has changed, um, but you know, maybe he downplays the severity of it and he, he, it's a big, I told you so moment for Trump. Right. Um, uh, he could become too sick to run or even die. Um, in that case, I had just assumed that vice president Mike Pence would, would be the man for the job, but apparently he, he probably will be, I guess, but like, he doesn't have to be the Republican party has their own rules and they could, if their candidate has to drop out, oh, um, yeah. they can pick, they could just pick somebody new. Got um, it. Got it. So like that is, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't realized that. Um, 
voting's never been uh, elections have never been postponed in this country, which is, you know, I think a testament to us um, as a nation. And uh, but th- there's always like, you know, the op- the the scary specter of them, of people trying to push the election. Um, yeah, the the Electoral College could be thrown into kind of some disarray because like. Like, what if Trump wins the election um, via electoral college votes, but like then he's not alive or he can't fulfill the duty anymore? Then like usually the electors cast the votes for the president, the person who wins. But like certain states, I think they're still allowed to like to be, what do you call it? Faithless electors. I think, like, yeah, that definitely and, still can happen and like cast their vote for somebody else. So like, you know, that could happen or it could just be confusing for them. Yeah. And I, I think I read about how like um, it could go down to like state delegations or something where like the, the state's representatives tell the electors how to vote. Mm. You know, I think I read about that today too. Well, uh, if he makes it to the election and then expires or has to step down, the normal rules are a bit more familiar to us from our social studies classes. Uh, I think the vice president is first in line, uh, then the speaker of the house. And I was like, can you imagine if Trump and Pence both went down Yeah, and then we got a president Pelosi? I think Rush Limbaugh, Alex Jones, and Glenn Beck would all die of massive stroke on the spot <laughs> if that happened. I think we would watch. I think Alex Jones would would have a live heart attack on YouTube. (laughs) I think it would just happen. This is unbelievable. Like it really is to the point where it really is disbelievable, you know? Yeah. But at the same time, not entirely unbelievable that Trump would get coronavirus because, right, he's like he's going to these huge rallies being like, I don't need to wear a mask. Joe Hyden, I'm not Joe Hyden. I don't need to wear a mask. Like, yeah. well, maybe, dude, you shouldn't have, shouldn't. Oh, by the way, like, did you see, like, he would say, I think at the debate, he's like, oh, we have these events, but they're outside. And then I saw pictures the very next day in the paper of, of, of a, a watch party in, I think, rural Pennsylvania. And yeah, it was in a tent, but it was just, <laughs> it was in an enclosed tent. Yeah. Tent, just because the tent is not inside a building. Like the tent is the building. Yeah. You know, Trump had numerous events in the past three days, not, you know, outside of the debate uh, where he's seen hundreds, if not thousands of people, because he had a couple rallies and a couple of, I think a couple of donor donor events. So he's seen people in the pub, you know, the ordinary public. And so this could, who knows how far this could go. Trump is a super spreader. He could be. Well, this is all sheer conjecture at this point, so um, I don't know if we have anything else to add to the conversation. Um, Coming up on the podcast, we have SF Weekly staff writer Benjamin Schneider, who will talk to us about his latest story, Despite Economic Pain, the Tech Boom Continues, and we'll speak with Matt Sancom, formerly of SF Weekly and now with the Hard Times satirical website, and his girlfriend, Selena Kimmelman who helped turn SF Weekly contributor Veronica Irwin onto a fantastic story about a very cute Siamese cat and the typically crazy next-door thread the friendly feline inspired. Stay tuned. (music) 
We're back with Benjamin Schneider, staff writer for SF Weekly. Way back in September, before the Trumps confirmed they had tested positive for the novel coronavirus, an audio of Melania venting about the liberal media was leaked to the liberal media. <laughs> San Franciscans, San Franciscans were buzzing about a miniature local governmental scandal. Just how the hell did the logo of a Peninsula software company end up projected onto the dome of City Hall? The short answer is that it appears to have been a gonzo act of guerrilla marketing perpetuated by, or at least for the benefit of, a company that recently celebrated a record-breaking IPO on Wall Street. However, here at SF Weekly, we tend to be less interested in short answers and more intrigued by the bigger pictures those answers help illuminate. And this is why we've brought Ben on the program today, to explain how Snowflake, a growing tech firm based in San Mateo, fits into a larger story about San Francisco's dual economy, a landscape in which small businesses are struggling to stay afloat and the working class is just scraping by, but where the makers of niche tech products and their workers seem to be making money hand over fist. Welcome to the podcast, Ben. Thanks for having me, Nick. So San Francisco, California, and the world have been going through a lot um, recently. But in your article, you write about how yet another tech boom has crept up on the city. What kinds of companies are doing really well right now? Yeah, so obviously there's a lot going on in our city and in the wider world between the pandemic uh, and the economic disruption that it caused, the wildfires and the smoke. And now, uh, especially over the last 48 hours or so, the, the presidential election and all of the drama associated with that. But quietly, amidst all of those other stories that honestly are a lot more important to a lot more people, uh, San Francisco's tech economy has been kicking back into high gear, um, just like previous tech booms that we've seen in this city uh, since going back to the dot-com boom of, of 1999. Um, and it's not just me saying that. Uh, a recent New York Times article led off with uh, the statement, it's bonanza time on Silicon Valley and on Wall Street. Um, and a Wall Street Journal article recently reported that 2020 is on track to be the best year for IPOs in history um, in an article called IPO Markets Party Like It's 1999. <laughs> so um, there's a sense of this cycle, this boom-bust cycle of the San Francisco economy continuing. Um, and honestly, what we've seen here in the city is, is more, uh, much more boom than bust, at least when it comes to the tech side of the economy. Um, and yet another reason why we haven't really uh, maybe a lot of normal people haven't really noticed uh, that there is, in fact, another boom time um, in the tech industry is that a lot of the companies that are succeeding right now are not ones that interact with everyday consumers. Um, many more of these companies are providing business to business services, uh, fintech, financial technology, um, a number of, of companies that are involved in gaming or content management. Um, so these are companies that normal people really may not have heard of, um, but they still are, are doing really well in the pandemic because essentially these are the companies that are helping business continue to exist during the, the quarantine period when no one's going to physical offices. So they, they help bring business online. Uh, they enable things like online shopping and online banking. And they're also, especially these gaming companies, content companies like Patreon are keeping us entertained while we're stuck in our homes. Um, so just to give you a quick 
tour of some of these companies that are really successful. Um, we obviously mentioned Snowflake, uh, the software company from from uh, San Mateo, uh, another major uh, peninsula software company. Palantir just went public. Um, Asana, an HR company in San Francisco, also just went public. And uh, uh, supposedly Airbnb, DoorDash, and Instacart are coming soon too to the public market, along with a uh, uh, another gaming company, Unity Technologies. Uh, so those are just some of the several IPOs that are are poised for this brief period, kind of between the end of the summer and and the election. Um, and in addition to that, you've got companies like Patreon, which I mentioned, um, like the the corporate credit card company Brex, a couple other companies, Airtable, Carta, Discord, the the gaming uh, social networking site that are raising hundreds of millions of dollars in VC over the past couple of months. So it's not just these IPOs, it's even smaller companies that are uh, raising a lot of money from private investors. Um, And what that translates to is yet another period in San Francisco where there are several companies that are doing better than they ever have. Um, And I think all that kind of adds up to yet another tech boom that's been quietly taking place. This makes me think about uh, how quickly we forget or perhaps move on is, is the right way to put it. In the aftermath of WeWork's failed IPO uh, about this time last year, last summer, uh, it seemed like the initial public offering as a fundraising tool kind of went out of vogue for a time, but sounds like it's back. Yeah, well, it is really amazing to look back at uh, spring 2019. For so many reasons, that time uh, feels like ages ago, decades ago. Um, but Nick, you're right. At that time, WeWork basically had was about to go public and it was revealed that their business model really didn't work. Uh, they were losing tons of money. And uh, that combined with kind of disappointing IPOs from companies like Uber and Lyft and uh, Pinterest and Slack uh, a little bit before that, um, they just didn't pan out as investors had expected as compared to say, Facebook um, and and some other you know more high profile companies a few years prior that had gone gangbusters after their IPO, so that led to this kind of conventional wisdom that uh, this whole idea of IPOs um, you know IPOs weren't going to yield these big pops like they used to, um, and Snowflake really uh, <laughs> kind of flew in the face of that that conventional wisdom. Um, and other other uh, IPOs that have happened recently have have been doing well as well, um, including Asana. And and what's been happening is that these these are the companies that might not be super sexy, as I mentioned, but they um, are just really good at what they do. They're good at providing these business services and other kind of under the radar things that um, you know everyday people don't know about. Um, and so I think what what Silicon Valley people are are trying to do now is not get caught up in the big name like WeWork or Uber and look more for these companies that, um, you know, do the nerdy stuff that, that is necessary for business to go on in, in uh, not, not only in pandemic times, but just, you know, in our very like online digital economy. In your story, you write that this tech boom might be different from other tech booms that we've seen um, in terms of how it affects the city. Um, how, how is that? Yeah, so back in spring 2019, um, just like during previous times in in San Francisco, 
recent history, there was a lot of talk about all of these IPOs really transforming the city and making the city even more unaffordable to people of more modest means, um, potentially pushing out more small businesses and um, you know mom and pop establishments. Uh, and, and it seemed like after uh, you know it was revealed that we work was not doing as well as people thought and, and some of these IPOs didn't do as well as people had hoped, uh, that that narrative just kind of went away. Um, and that the city didn't really see these dramatic effects of the IPO um, boom at the time that that some people feared. Um, and so this time, as I mentioned, people aren't really talking about the the current tech boom. It's not on people's radar, justifiably so. There are many more important things to think and talk about. Um, but I think that's also informed by the fact that um, in our current kind of work climate, it, it's really, it remains to be seen whether these companies, even if they're incredibly successful, um, the Airbnbs and Asanas of the world, um, whether they're really going to keep a lot of office space in San Francisco and keep a lot of employees living and working in the Bay Area um, because so many tech companies have really embraced this whole remote work model. Um, companies like Twitter and Facebook have basically said, many of their employees can work remotely indefinitely, um, even after there's a vaccine, and many other smaller companies are following suit. It's just this huge question mark um, for San Francisco economy observers. Um, you know, Even if these companies hire tons of new workers, raise tons of, of new capital, um, are they going to lease new office space in San Francisco? Are they going to bring new employees to live in the Bay Area? Um, and if they don't, what what you could see is housing prices continuing on their their trajectory, um, where as we've seen, rents are down about twenty percent year over year um, thanks to the pandemic, and potentially office uh, prices are going to go down considerably as well. Um, and so, in a way, there's there's a positive to that. Um, even if the economy is booming on some level things might remain more affordable for everyday people. And still, you know, we're not talking about super affordable prices, but better than things were a year ago. Um, and then yet another side effect, though, is these, these small businesses that um, depend on foot traffic, especially downtown, are looking at a potentially very rough future where uh, you, you really may not have even close to as many office workers who are coming downtown and patronizing the restaurants and stores in that area. Um, so it's, it's a very complicated mixed picture. And it, I spoke to a number of uh, economic observers who are kind of sorting through all this and no one really knows what's going to, what's going to be the result of this IPO boom on San Francisco. It's, it's not a settled question. What does, uh, this say about San Francisco's economic resilience, though, and, and its inequality? Well, I think it, it says that San Francisco's economy um, is incredibly resilient and that, um, you know, since the pandemic, there are people who were forecasting that big, dense cities like San Francisco had no future. Um, this was back when the major outbreaks were in places like New York City, and now the major coronavirus outbreaks are in uh, small towns in North Dakota. So go figure there. Um, but people have also said that 
you know, San Francisco has high taxes, it's high housing costs, it's a very painful homelessness epidemic, um, are all, um, you know, potential reasons why business might flee San Francisco. And I think what we're seeing here is that um, the city doesn't really, uh, the, the city's economic trajectory doesn't necessarily get thrown off course by any of these things. And that um, there there is some kind of crazy alchemy in San Francisco and in the Bay Area that produces these incredibly innovative and successful companies. And, you know, when, when the consumer style um, tech companies like Uber and Lyft weren't doing so well, the, the whole industry pivoted very quickly to the kinds of companies that we're seeing right now doing really well, the, the more uh, low-key software and B2B companies, things like that. So uh, I think that's what it, what it says about the city's resilience. But uh, it also says something about inequality, as, as, you, as you mentioned. Uh, it, it continues to amaze, I think, all San Franciscans just how successful uh, businesses in the city can be and yet how uh, hard life is for so many other people. It's still an incredible challenge for uh, so many people in the city to make rent, even when rents are, are going, you know, technically going down. Um, it's still an incredibly expensive place, incredibly inhospitable to people of, of more modest means. There's still an incredible uh, amount of homelessness in the city. Um, and, and now with the pandemic, unemployment is still really, really high, um, even as these tech companies are hiring. So it, it's a very uh, complicated picture. And I think um, it, the bottom line is that it seems like a lot of the things about San Francisco, whether it's the high-flying tech economy or the severe inequality, are not changing in a, a major way, even if they both are starting to look a little different. Okay. Well, you can read Ben's story, Despite Economic Pain, The Tech Boom Continues, on our website, sfweekly.com, under the News tab. Thanks so much for joining us today, Ben. Thanks, Nick. back with Matt Sancom and Selena Kimmelman, um, an Oakland couple who, through the power of Twitter and their bond with a neighborhood cat, helped inspire a recent investigation by SF Weekly contributor Veronica Irwin. Welcome to the podcast, Matt and Selena. Hey, thanks for having us. Thank you, Nick. Mm -hmm. Before we go any further, uh, I want to note that Matt is a former music editor of SF Weekly and uh, the founder of The Hard Times, a satirical news site which approaches the world from a decidedly uh, punk rock angle. And I also wanted to note that I probably missed a few key points uh, in that introduction, and I don't have any remarks prepared for Selena. So I'll give you two the floor to, to fill in some of the blanks there. Can I introduce her? Yeah. <laughs> Go for it. Uh, Selena Kimmelman is a Bay Area born and bred fashion designer who uses her unique sense of style to create a brand called Bella de Nuit. Belle de Nuit. Belle de Nuit. Yeah, there you go. Uh, which is a lingerie brand that fa focuses 
on female empowerment and inclusivity and celebrating all different types of body sizes. Wow, you did that better than I could have. <laughs> I'm a pitchman, you know what yeah, I mean? I'm I out know. here selling you, stuff. Yeah, you're... It's time to make some deals. <laughs> there might be a potential, I don't know. <laughs> no, that is your job. I'm, I just sew, so you're, it's better that you did it. <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. So I think it was last week that I came across um, your tweet, Matt. It read, meet Pinky, an extremely outdoorsy neighborhood cat in Oakland who has no idea how upset people are on uh people on next door are about his adventures uh tell us about this cat would you yeah so selena and i um selena had an apartment right on broadway um and we often go on little walks around the neighborhood and we would see several very social cats but one was a frequent visitor of us would pinky would see us a couple blocks away and start walking towards us meowing uh, looking for attention and so we would often stop and hang out with him a little bit and uh, plenty of pets. Um, seems like he's always outdoors. Like he was very, very adventurous and free roaming. And uh, Selena and I had seen him a couple of times. And then Selena told me this hilarious story about what happened on next door. Yeah, I can fill in that part. So I think we had seen him like a few times when we'd go on walks um, around the neighborhood And he'd follow us and meow and kind of just like hang out in the middle of the sidewalk. And then one time I got home, um, it was like pretty late and, uh, I parked and as I'm walking to my apartment and I'm like right on a busy street on Broadway and then I hear meowing and of course I'm like crazy cat lady. So I'm like looking, darting around trying to find this cat. And I recognized, I was like, isn't that that cat? Like that Siamese cat with the pink collar. I didn't know his name was Pinky yet. Um, and he was like right under my car, which freaked me out. And he came up to me and I'm thinking like, where does he live? Like, why is he over here? And I was trying to find a number address on the collar. I couldn't. And then, um, before I could even really do anything, he ended up seeing people across the street, darted over and looked like he was going to go into their apartment building. So I was like, okay, maybe, (laughs) maybe that's where he lives and he's fine. But I got home and I decided to make a post on next door just because, you know, just in case. I was like, hey, uh, is this somebody's cat? Because they're kind of by a busy street. I don't know if you live around here, but they're out just so you know. Um, and then it turned into um, I woke up the next morning and it's like I am the probably second or third uh, post about Pinky in 24, 48 hours um, about whose cat is this? Like they're out, like they're following me. Um, and it kind of ended up in this kind of heated uh, debate about Pinky's owners and how much they love him. And, um, you know, just it was it was really funny. It was just a Selena used to work at uh, our volunteer at a cat shelter. So mm-hmm. she's always trying to feed cats and uh, take care of them or whatever. Um, but Pinky's owners went into these threads. There was multiple threads uh, to try to defend their honor because people were saying, you know, Pinky's, you know, who would let Pinky travel this far? Like he's all over. There's like a 20 block radius where you can find Pinky and he crosses streets and, you know, it's not safe for him to be so outdoors. Um, And Pinky's owners went into these threads and were like, you know what? Uh, Pinky likes his life this way. He's fine. Uh, He knows how to get around town. Uh, and also Pinky is non-binary. Pinky does not have a gender, <laughs> uh, which was a personal favorite of mine to see people on Nextdoor arguing about. Not only is this cat, some people were saying, like, oh, this cat's going to 
uh, poop all around the neighborhood and they just don't want to clean up his litter box. Other people are saying, does this cat have its shots? Um, but then it got down to the point of, are we misgendering <laughs> this cat? And that was when I was like, this is peak Oakland next door. This oh, is yeah. just really good stuff. Um, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm a, one of the reasons I, I was, um, intrigued by your tweet and followed it is uh, one. I love cats. I have too many cats. It's ridiculous. Um, and How many do you have? <laughs> two, but my roommate has one. So that, oh, okay. that's three. That's um, like, that's like a, li- that's only, uh, the minimum amount for like cat people. I found okay. when I volunteered three is like <laughs> having one for cat people apparently. Um, but yeah, well, uh, as a cat person too, like, uh, um, I think people don't realize, you know, cats don't, want to get hit by cars either <laughs> like mm-hmm. they they look they you know and if they get hit by a car that's really tragic but like i've, I've noticed that the, the cats that live outside in big cities like they look both ways you know yeah i feel like pinky could probably take the bus like if you were to follow <laughs> pinky around long enough you'd probably find out he was taking the bus and he has friends in different neighborhoods Highly intelligent feline. The second reason um, I, I um, was intrigued by the the and drawn to the tweet was because we've covered next door a little bit here during my tenure, and I know that people can be just absolutely insane on that platform. Oh, yeah. um, you've kind of already told me a little bit about what you were seeing. Uh, did you did you skip over any good parts? Um, oh, on uh, the thread. Well, yeah, yeah. So I think like. The gender thing, okay, that was like probably what stuck out a lot was because I, when I posted, I kind of just put like, I put like he slash her because I was like, I don't know what mm-hmm. the gender of the cat is, but like, and then I think I referred to Pinky as them or something. And, um, and at that point, there was already lots of response I hadn't heard from the owners yet. And then she started going and responding to a lot of posts and kind of like if someone put he or her, um, corrected and said like, yes, thank you. And by the way, like Pinky's pronouns, are they them? And it, and it was very unclear. She's like, kind of seemed like, you know, uh, an older woman. And it, I wasn't sure if she was like being sarcastic, like almost making yeah. fun of like, yeah, actually, or because maybe because I said like he slash her them. Um, but yeah, she kind of went in and there were people saying, you know, like, this is so irresponsible. Like there are people getting mad at other people saying, Pinky's going to get hit by a car like they're the owners are neglectful. I'm surprised somebody hasn't already taken this poor cat home. Like just saying like much more judgmental mean things. Um, Mm -hmm. I I side with the I side with the owners. I mean, Pinky seems plenty happy. Yeah. Hangs out on the streets. You can see him like kind of just sitting around different houses. And then when people walk by, uh, he comes up. He likes scratch. Yeah. Well fed cat. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's not he's not mangy. He's not skinny. Like, I think those are things I would look for if I actually thought this cat was like being neglected. Um, he looks like, you know, well groomed. I think he he's a Siamese. And I think like I grew up with um, partial Siamese cats. And I think that they're known for obviously being very talkative. But I think they're just social and curious. And, you know, some yeah, cats just like that's being been outside. my that has been my experience with Siamese too. One of the funny parts about Pinky is that he'll come up to you when you're on a walk and you'll pet him a little bit and then you'll think, okay, yeah, okay, keep on going on our walk. (laughs) Then he follows you and he has this little like thing that like jingles on his neck and you can just hear him following you and following you. (laughs) He makes it, I understand why people make posts about him because he makes it feel like it's going to be a problem. Like, like, yeah, Yeah, Yeah. why is this cat following me? (laughs) Like for blocks. Yeah. Um, so yeah. 
So I have a cat specific question for you. Um, and maybe for our listeners, cause hopefully he's turned the corner now. I mean, uh, I mean, he's definitely better than he was, but my cat got sick. Oh. Um, I think with a cold, I think that's like the best, you know, and we were thinking about taking him, my fiance and I think about taking him to the vet, but you know, it was like, he started off and, and the lids, like the inside lids of his eyes were like, like halfway kind of blocking his eyes. And he was just super low energy, but we read, you know, you know, if he, if he stops eating for a long period of time, that's bad. And he only didn't eat for like one day, but as far as just like treating his symptoms, like he was really stuffed up. I never heard a cat stuffed up before. I grew up with cats. Um, I don't know, like what, what would you do if one of your cats got the sniffles? Yeah. So thankfully I actually learned a lot about this kind of stuff through the uh, rescue, but <clears throat> he probably had a URI an upper respiratory infection, which is fairly common. Um, did, was he in contact with like another cat at, for yeah. any other animal? No. Our theory is her, his sister, oh, okay. uh, Lemmy, not his real sister, but, um, we named her Lemmy because when we got her, she purred really loud, like she had a motorhead. Um, oh. And uh, and then there's Leonard. And so Lemmy came with with a upper, uh, what do you a call U- it? A URI, yeah. Upper respiratory infection, yeah. And then she was better for, you know, years, but I guess they can kind of resurface and then they might be contagious again. I don't know That's- if you've heard that. That's interesting. I maybe if it was left untreated, um, I know there's like sometimes underlying um, conditions like this. Sound, I mean, a lot of cats have what is called herpes. It's not the same thing as human herpes, but um, like my male cat who I adopted has it. And when he was younger, he used to always get like a swollen. One of his eyes would always kind of get like watery and a little bit swollen, looking like a URI. Um, so mm. sometimes when they have stuff like that, it's common in male cats, especially. Um, then that can sometimes I think trigger URIs more easily. But um, yeah. I would suggest um, if it's not that serious, like you said, if they're not eating and if they're lethargic, those are like the really bad signs. But if that kind of stuff goes away or doesn't happen, you're probably fine. You can get them medicine um, or just give them um, actually kind of like humans when you're congested. If you put them in a crate or just put them in your bathroom and turn on a hot shower, get it steamy. You can use warm compresses on their nose and eyes a little bit, just kind of wipe the snot out. Um, it's, it's That's really what we similar. did. We did all those things. So oh, it sounds like, nice. sounds like I'm on the, the right track. Yeah. Um, well, before we go, um, I wanted to touch upon the hard times. Um, I was researching for this interview and I saw that um, you've got a new Twitch channel and um, and Keith Buckley, who I guess is a contributor. And for those of you who that name doesn't ring a bell, he is the front man for a great hardcore band called uh, Every Time I Die. Um, why don't you talk a little bit about your new Twitch channel, I guess, uh, Matt? Yeah. Um, so Keith, uh, I actually didn't really know very much about every time I die. Um, I just, they just weren't quite on my radar. I was, uh, I grew up in a little bit of a different sub genre of the punk scene, more of like the street punk scene, a little bit less away from the, the metal ish stuff. Um, we have a open submission process. Anyone can apply to write for the hard times. And, uh, Keith had a really good submission packet. So he got in, um, and he started writing for us. And then people started going, is that the Keith Buckley? And I would say that is the Keith Buckley, the hard times contributor. Um, and, uh, I got to know him a little bit. I had him on our podcast, the hard times podcast, and Selena and I went to some of their shows. We helped promote some of their shows and, uh, hang out with the band and we just became friends and I talked to him fairly frequently. We, uh, talk about comedy stuff that we're doing. He also has done some comedy writing. He wrote a couple books. He's a great Mm -hmm. guy. I like him a lot. And, um, I saw that he was doing Twitch streaming 
we recently sold the hard times and we have a little bit more uh, resources to do things that we want to do. And so I thought uh, it'd be great for hard times to get into Twitch streaming. And I thought Keith would be the perfect new face, the fresh face of hard times. Yeah. And so we launched a couple of days ago and already hundreds of people have tuned in. So it's going seven days a week. It's at twitch.tv slash the hard times stream. You can also look at the Hard Times social media pages or Keith Buckley's social media pages, and I'm sure you'll find a link. Um, but he's playing all sorts of different games, and there's going to be a whole bunch of different uh, characters from the punk and comedy scenes on the stream. So, oh, nice, cool. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be pretty fun. All right. Well, hey, um, you can read the story. Sweet Siamese causes stir on Oakland next door on our website, sfweekly.com, under the culture tab. Uh, thanks so much for joining us today, Matt and Selena. Thanks yeah. for having us. I'm so happy that SF Weekly has a podcast now. And uh, if anyone wants to Google Matt Sancom, SF Weekly Dolphin, there's another <laughs> story on SF Weekly you can read um, about me interviewing a guy who fucked a dolphin. It was the most popular story in SF Weekly for quite some time. It might still be. I don't know. <laughs> and uh, I got my start over at SF Weekly via this dolphin story. So I'm very happy to be invited back on the podcast. All right. Yeah, thank you, Nick. All right. Well, have a good day, you two. Thanks. Thanks. All right. Bye. Bye. Nice meeting you. Thanks so much for tuning into this week's edition of the SF Weekly Podcast. The episode was produced, engineered, and recorded by me, Nick Veronin. Our theme music was composed by The Armature. For more hot takes, deep dives, and alternative views on San Francisco news, subscribe to our podcast through Apple or Spotify, follow us on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash sfweeklypodcast, and check out our website, sfweekly.com. See you next week.